Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for who you are and what you are to us. We pray, Father, that you would Help us to understand your word, that you would also uh, give us fresh insight, uh, that you would help us to, to do all you called us to do um, in Christ. Help us to be all that you want us to be, Father. I do pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I do pray for strength as well, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, not just for myself, but for all under the sound of my voice, Lord. And we also thank you for those who joined us um, on live stream, Lord. It's uh, definitely something awkward at the beginning, but Lord, uh, you're going to work all things together for good. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13, and the title of the lesson is Who's Guiding You? Who's Guiding You? And so many of us have been through uh, the education process, maybe in junior high school, high school, for some people, community college, or even a four-year university in which you um, had a guidance counselor. And this counselor, academic counselor, of course, they were, they were instrumental in, in guiding you through that process academically so that you'll complete all of your courses um, that you're supposed to complete. And because you don't want to get to the point where you think you're going to complete the program or you think you're going to graduate. And they tell you that you're missing uh, a certain course or that your grade wasn't higher enough in a certain course. And so those counselors have been instrumental to us um, at those various levels of school. And, and from a personal level, uh, I've had a great academic counselor when I attended um, uh, Cal State University, Northridge. That's where I got my undergrad in English. And so my guidance counselor or my academic counselor, he was very, he was very good. He's very thorough. And kept me on top of everything. I knew exactly what classes I needed. Um, I knew about the exit interview or whatever um, I would need um, as an English major. And so I, I, didn't, I never missed out on any classes that I needed to take. And it was because, once again, I had a good academic counselor personally who always, you know, uh, kept me in line um, academically. Because I didn't really need it at that time, at that level in college. I didn't need, well, maybe from the Lord's point of view, needed some help behavior-wise. But, but in school, at that level, I didn't need it. But academically, that's where I needed it. That's where I got the help as far as completing those classes, those necessary classes. But then, you know, after I became a school teacher, after graduating, you know, I, I taught junior high school taught a little high school, and then I moved on to uh, University of Phoenix, and I became a teacher education specialist, and, and that was um, one of the, the, the counseling roles that was available there, and so as a teacher education specialist, I would help people going through the teacher education program to make sure they met all of their 
what we call progression requirements before they got to a certain class because my job was to prepare them for student teaching. And so if I messed up, then the student's progress in their teacher education program would be delayed. And so a lot of that depended on me when it came to them being set up for student teaching. And so the the crazy thing uh, about that is, is that um, not only did I have this responsibility laid upon me, but, but also, although I was located and still is located in Arizona, um, my students were all in Florida. And so I had to learn about Florida's educational system and, and what schools work with our school and so forth and placing our teachers. And so, and things were changing every year. And, and that's because in education, every state thinks they know what's best. They think they know what's better educational-wise. And so, um, but as parents, you definitely need to be your child's first educator in everything, especially when it comes to the Word of God. But, but in my role as a teacher education specialist, I had the opportunity to serve as that counselor, um, you know, that, that I received counsel from when I was going to school as an undergrad. But now, when we talk about the area of life in general as a whole, one question we all need to think about is who's guiding us. And so what we're going to do is get into the text and we're going to come away with clarity about who's guiding us, who should be guiding us and why. And so those are some important things to think about. And those are once again, some answers uh, we're going to come away with. And so in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing or stealing grain from the threshing floors. And the threshing floors was the, the flat, hard, smooth surface where the oxen or cattle will tread over the sheaves in order to loosen the grain from the outer shell called the, ch- the, the chaff. And that chaff was useless, so that, that needed to be blown away and so forth. But, but on that threshing floor, uh, that's where the grain was separated from that useless part. Um, or it would be beaten out with sticks um, on that threshing floor. And so the Philistines, they were, they were in Keilah and they were robbing the people of their grain. And so therefore in verse 2 in 1 Samuel 23, David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah, which was located in, in, in the lowlands of Judah which is, of course, in southern Israel. But in verse 3, David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And so David's men, of course, we see they were afraid where they were in Judah. That's their current location. They were afraid there. Uh, and so remember these men that when they first gathered to David in First Samuel uh, chapter 22, there were only about 400 men who were distressed. They were in debt and, and they were discontented. 
I still can't say that word. But anyway, they joined up with David and he was the main target of King Saul. So even though um, they knew that King Saul hated David um, and was after him, wanted to have him killed, uh, these people who were unsatisfied, they were upset, they were in debt. Um, they joined up with them. And once again, it was about 400 of them. And then on top of that, they learned of how evil and destructive King Saul could be because he would go on to order the priests and the entire city of Nob to be destroyed. And, and so it's not surprising, of course, that they were already afraid. But now to ask these men to join another fight in another location would be even more intimidating and scary for them. And when we think about their situation, it brings us to focus on our own situation as well, because many of us are in that position ourselves because things are crazy and things are scary in the position we're in at this time. And so many of us, although given a direct order from the Lord, we, we are afraid to step out of our current um, scary situation and step into another situation elsewhere that appears to be scarier than the one we're in. And so we begin to question God. God, do you really want me to go there? Lord, do you really want me to do that. I'm already afraid in this position and now you want me to go there. Now you want me to do that. Lord, I just don't understand that. But then David, it says in verse four, inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Keilah for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, or he defeated them decisively and he took away their livestock. And so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And so that last line there makes it seems that, that David is the one who is getting all the glory. But we know that David was just a human instrument. Because we know that the victory really belonged to the Lord. So, Pastor Durrell, why do you say that? Well, I say that because David went to battle in the first place because it was the Lord's command. And second of all, it was the Lord who guaranteed the victory. And the Lord who commanded him to be there or to go. And the Lord who guaranteed the victory is the same God who actually gave David the victory. And so, he was just the human instrument. And so when it comes to us as well, we must not forget that we are just instruments. Hopefully instruments or tools in the hands of a mighty God because we've been a part of doing some great things in life and I'm sure many of you have had many accomplishments and we have been we may have been a part of doing some great things not just uh, from the world's perspective like earning degrees and things like that but also doing great things in ministry or going out witnessing so many great things we've done in Jesus's name but one thing we must not forget is that the Lord is the one who gets all the glory because if it weren't for him we wouldn't 
wouldn't exist. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't have breath. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't be able to move our hands or our feet. We, we wouldn't have a mind even to serve him. We, we wouldn't even know about him if it weren't for him. And so we must not forget that the Lord gets all the glory. If it were not for him, we would not even have the opportunity to do what he's called us to do and to have that success. And so God gets the credit. He gets the glory. And that's something, if you don't remember anything else from tonight's message, is that God should get all the glory from even from all the successes we've, we've, we've accomplished in our lives. Yeah, but I put in that time of study, but, but God gave you that ability to study and to retain that information. God even gave us the opportunity to gain wealth. Then we have in verse 6, and now, we, now what happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod or a holy vest in his hand. Now, one thing we want to do is remember why Abiathar fled to David in the first place. And he was there because Saul had ordered Doeg the Edomite to kill the priests and the rest of the inhabitants of Nob because he thought that Ahimelech the priest, uh, which is Abiathar's dad, had conspired against him with David. And so Abiathar was the only priest who had escaped from Nob. Now, Abiathar brought the ephod with him when he fled to David. And this ephod, by the way, many believe contained the Urim, which means lights. And it also contained um, the Thummim, which means perfection. And they were probably gemstones carried by the high priest. And they were used to learn God's will in certain situations. And so essentially... Abiathar brought his prayer life with him. And so no matter where we are, no matter where we go, remember to bring our prayer life with us. Now there's a scripture here that I have, Colossians 4.2. It says, continue earnestly in prayer. In other words, devote yourselves to prayer. Be vigilant. Or in other words, stay alert. Um, in it with thanksgiving. Continue earnestly in prayer. So be like Abiathar. Carry a prayer life with you. Oh, I know you have to go to work. I know you have to go to school. But people at work, the job site, they need prayer. Your classmates need prayer. You're going to encounter some things. You're going to encounter some situations. You're going to encounter some tough tasks. And that's going to require prayer. You're going to need some wisdom from the Lord. And so continue earnestly in prayer. Oh, we're so blessed. We're so privileged to have that open line, to be able to connect with the holy God, to be able to connect with the God of the universe. And so continue earnestly in prayer. Well, I know that times are hard and times may get even harder. 
Well, I know we've been through a crazy past two years. Oh, may have, some of us have received some crazy news with our health and even financial situations. But, but remember to take the ephod with us. Remember to take our prayer life with us when we go to the doctor's office, when we go on those doctor's appointments, when we go out and search for new homes, when you go out and search for new jobs, uh, before you exchange those vows, before you get married, those of you who plan to get married sometimes this year, sometime this year, take your prayer life with you. In verse 7 it says, And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars or barred gates. And then Saul called all the people or soldiers and, or the troops together for war to go down to Keilah in order to besiege David and his men. And so here we see that Saul thought he had David. Now that he was in a town that has some gates and bars or that, that was um, a, a town with barred gates. Oh, I got him now, Saul thought. And so he rounded his people together. He rounded his troops together for war. But it's interesting that King Saul didn't round his men together for war against the true enemies, the Philistines. Uh, David had to do it. David inquired of the Lord to, to go there and, and rescue the people of Keilah. And so Saul gathered his men together for war, not against the true enemies, but of course his personal enemy, a servant of God. And that's so much like our enemy, the devil, right? Our adversary. Because likewise, the devil wants to take advantage of us when he thinks that we're trapped. Oh, he sees us. Oh, they're in a time of desperation. Oh, oh, for example, for some people, you know, they, they have this choice presented to him that, that they can give in to some sinful policies at the job and continue to work or feed their families or pay their bills, light bills, whatever the bills may be, or could, they could just quit. And then their family would run the risk of being put out on the streets. And so in that time of desperation, the devil may look at some of you or some people in this world and think, okay, I got them trapped. I have them trapped so, so I can come against him. Let's, let's gather together speaking to his, his, his folks, his fallen angels, those demons. And they may try to come against you as well. And, and if you don't understand that, I just want you to understand something tonight that we are in spiritual warfare. You are in a spiritual battle, whether you know it or not. And so this enemy, he wants to take advantage of us, especially when, when he thinks that um, we're in a place, in, what they were saying, between a rock and a hard place. We're in a tough position. But when David knew that Saul had plotted evil or harm against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, he said, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. And he says, will the men of Keilah deliver or betray me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, 
will the men of Keilah deliver me? Or will they betray me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. They will surrender you. They will betray you, David. And that's very interesting because God knew that the people, the very people that David helped, he knew that they would turn on David. But yet, and God shared this information with him. He was faithful to share this with David. But even though God knew that about these people, about how they would treat David, God still wanted David to help the people of Keilah. And guess what? It's no different today because God is that same God and he knows the people who will turn on us even after we help them, even after we attempt to help them. He knows that they will turn on us, but it doesn't stop God from telling us what to do. It doesn't stop God from telling us to go minister to those people, to go pray for those people, to share the gospel with those people, to take those people a box of food. You see, the, the thing we have to understand is that uh, we're not to do something nice for someone just to get something back in return. We're not to do something loving um, to them or for them and, and expect something loving in return. But we're to do it out of obedience to the Lord, not a love for the Lord. And so even though this may be the case for some of us, that God knows those who are going to turn on us, who are going to betray us. And he still wants us to help them. Although that may be the case for us, still be obedient to the Lord. Because you're only responsible for your part. You're not responsible for the things other people do to you. But one thing I have to ask tonight is how many people do this very thing to God? How God is so gracious to people. He created people. He delivered many of us, many people from tough circumstances. And then they go on the news and then they rave about how lucky they were. No, you weren't lucky. You were blessed. And then he allowed them to accumulate wealth. He even sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to, to die for them. But instead of being devoted to God, they, they betray God and they devote themselves to other things. They worship themselves. They worship uh, false gods, idol gods. They worship celebrities. They worship ideologies. They refuse to give God the credit. They betray the Lord who loves them, the Lord who helped them. And so even though David experienced that betrayal, even though many of us have or will experience betrayal from people that we loved on and helped, just think about God, that God experienced it more than anyone. And yet God still loves, yet God still sends rain, the just and unjust. And so the unjust and the just people, they receive rain for crops. They receive rain and their grass looks pretty. Those of us who have grass. In verse 13, it says, and so David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So it says he halted the expedition. He gave up the pursuit. So that's so like the devil. 
right? So he will sometimes press pause when he, when he perceives that we got away that time. When he perceives that we didn't fall for his tricks that time. When he perceives that we didn't give in to the temptations that time. And so he may press pause on his plan. But it doesn't mean that he's done coming after us. It doesn't mean that he's done um, with those temptations. They're going to come back. Because it even said that about Jesus. When Satan tempted Jesus and, and, and Luke, the gospel according to Luke. It says that he left Jesus. Remember when he tempted him and Jesus used the word of God. And he combat, combated that temptation. And so the devil fled. But then the scripture tell us in Luke until an opportune time. Until he f- felt there was a good opportunity to come back. So yes, even the devil, yes, just like Saul, he's going to pause his expedition or his pursuit of us, of coming after us. Uh, if he felt that, okay, you got away that time. You know, I, I thought you were going to go to that website, but you tricked me. You fooled me. You, you turned off that, you turned off that computer. I thought you were going to go to that TV station, but you know what? You flipped the station. Well, I thought you were going to go to that party, but you decided otherwise. And so when he perceives that we got away that time, oh, he'll press pause on his plan. But we're to remain uh, vigilant. We're to remain alert because he's like a roaring lion and he's seeking people to devour And if we're one of those Christians who consider ourselves a renegade Christian where no church is good for us, where we know better than every single pastor in every single church, and that the best church for us is me, you know, I could do my own services in my own house, and and no other church is, is right. And you become one of those renegade Christians, well, you, you really open yourself up to that roaring lion. You're like fresh meat to him. So beware. But one thing that we can clearly see in this lesson is that when it comes to David, is that in these three different sessions, he went to the Lord to ask him questions. He didn't go to man. He didn't look within himself. He didn't find some kind of self-help book. But David, he went to the Lord and asked him questions. He clearly relied on the Lord for guidance. And that guidance that he received from the Lord served him well. And so the question tonight is, who's guiding you? Oh, we know who's got, who guided David. We know who was guiding Moses. We know the father was guiding Jesus, God the Son. We know that the Holy Spirit was guiding the apostles as we look in the book of Acts. But, but who is guiding you? Are, are the people who are always telling you what you want to hear, are those the ones who are guiding you? Your favorite celebrity that you love to look at, you love their acting. Whatever the case may be, you love the way they're dressed, are Do their opinions matter to you more than the word of God? So who is guiding you tonight? 
Your favorite singer? Is that the one who's guiding you? Or many people think it's cliche or it's corny to say we have to pay attention or, or be careful of what we listen to, what music we listen to. Uh, it's not corny. It's, it's very applicable and it's, and it's real. Because Satan can use music. He can use those lyrics through songs to influence people. You know, think about it. There's, there's certain songs you can turn on and those songs will create some type of emotion in you. They will bring back some of them, some type of nostalgia, remind you of the good old days. There's some songs I listen to and it remind me of spending time with my father. There's some songs that I used to listen to back then and they will make me kind of angry and, and, and want to do something crazy. It make me hype hyped up to do something, whatever the case may be. And so who's guiding you is, is your favorite singer. Well, it's clear from this lesson that the Lord is the one who wants to be our guide. So is the Lord your guide. Let's take a look at Psalm 32 verse 8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. In other words, his eye will be upon us. You see, God, God is the one who wants to instruct us. He's the one who wants to teach us the way we should be going, of, of how we should be living, with the things we should be doing, whether it's ministry or in life, any decision that we want to make, that we need to make. He wants to teach us. And he says that he will guide us and his, his eye will will be upon us. He's going to watch us every step of the way. And in this lesson alone, we can see three areas in which God guides us. In this lesson alone, three areas in which he guides us. And so first of all, God guides us to whom, where, and how he wants us to help. For example, we see that in verses 1 and 2 in 1 Samuel chapter 23. He guided David. To help the people of Keilah who were being robbed by the Philistines. Their grain was being robbed. And so God guides us in that way to whom, where, and how he wants us to help. But also he guides us, guide us in areas in which he wants us to succeed. And so he pretty much guaranteed uh, King David's success. And no, he hasn't taken the throne yet. But I call him King David because he's the truly anointed king. At this point. And so he guides us in areas in which he wants us to succeed. Because remember, God told him that I will deliver the Philistines into your hand in verse 4. And so God also guides in that way. But then we also see a third area in this lesson in which God guides us. And that is that God guides us away from danger. God guides us away from danger. And so we saw that, that, that God informed um, David that Saul was going to come after him, that he was on his way to Keilah. But God also informed him that the people of Keilah were going to uh, betray him. And with that information about Saul coming for him and, and that the people of Keilah are going to betray him, David and his men were able to make an escape. 
And so God guides us as well away from danger. And so I can't leave this lesson about God guiding us without going to some scriptures that are very familiar to many of you and for some of you. And at least one gentleman in this building, I know for sure, this, this could be your life verse or verses. And there's a brother here. He just chuckled. These are his life verses. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And again, we're talking about the Lord's guidance. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And now there's some things that stand out as we talk about the Lord's guidance. There's some things that stand out just in these verses alone as it relates to the Lord guiding us. And, And one of the things that we see is that the Lord wants us to trust him with all of our hearts. Not some of our hearts, but all of our hearts. So when you think of your heart, think of the very core of your being. So the Lord wants us. To, to trust him with all of us at the very core of our being. And that's opposed to us depending on our own understanding. He doesn't want us to depend on ourselves. And that makes sense because God is an eternal God. God is an omniscient God. God knows all things. Even those things that do not make sense to us. To God makes it all come together. They make sense to him. To us who can't see, uh, we can't see all the way down the street or around the corner. The God we serve is, is, he's able to see all around the maze, all around every single corner. He's able to see how all of these these things are going to fall into place and how all of these things are going to work together for our good, for good to those who, to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. So even those things that don't make sense to us, we're trying to figure out on our own. We're trying to depend on our own understanding. We'll stop doing that and, and trust God with all our hearts. The, the, according to what he says here in Proverbs chapter three, because once again, it is this God, the God of the Bible who knows All things, but something else we pull from this verse when we talk about the Lord's guidance is to make sure that God is involved in all our ways. Because it says, in all ways, acknowledge Him in Proverbs 3 6. All our ways, acknowledge Him. Every single aspect of our life, every single decision that we're going to make, that we need to make, involve the Lord. And that's so amazing to me that he would include this in the scriptures, that he would include this in Proverbs three, uh, verse six. It's so amazing because this shows us that God wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives. See, before God created us, well, before he created us and even after he created us, God never lacked anything. And so I don't add anything I don't add anything to him. He's complete all by himself. But yet and still this verse shows us that he wants to be a part 
of every aspect of our lives. He's very interested in us. And this is the God we serve. But it also shows us that he will make our path straight. So he'll make our path straight in areas in which he wants to help. He'll make our path straight in areas he wants us to be successful. He'll make our path straight to save us from potential danger, from sin, from physical harm, for loss. God will make our path straight. See, but we have to trust in him with all our hearts. We can't lean on our own understanding. We have to acknowledge him, remember him in all our ways. And he's never going to direct us in the wrong path. If you're not clear on the ministry that he wants you to be a part of. God will make that path straight. If you're not clear on what people. He wants you to help. God will make your path straight. If you're not sure in what areas in life. He wants you to be successful in. God will make your path straight. But God this person is. Successful as being an athlete. This person is successful in electronics. This person is successful in technology. Whatever the case may be, we may complain about. And you may be wanting to be successful in those areas as well. Go to the Lord. Allow him to be your guide. And he will guide you in that place in which he'll have you to be successful. Many of us are wondering as well about those places of danger. Even the dangerous people that he wants us to stay away from. Or he make our path straight as well. I want you to go the opposite way from this person. I want you to break off this relationship, that relationship. I want you to not venture into that direction or this direction. The Lord will show us. He might make our path straight. But he made no path straighter than the path to heaven. Through the way, the truth, and the life. So many people are wondering, how do they have a relationship with God? How do they get to heaven? Well, God made that path straight. And Jesus made it plain in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As the worship team or Matt comes to the stage. So we're going to participate as well in communion tonight. And we're going to remember the way, Jesus Christ. We're going to remember the fact that he died for us. He shed his blood for us. So as you partake of that 
bread and that cup of juice. Remember his death. Remember what he did. And also spend this time examining our hearts and ask the Lord if there's anything, any sin in our lives we need to confess. Because yes, it's the time of remembering him. It's a time of gratitude, but it's also a time of examination. And so as we go before the Lord in prayer, and I lead you in prayer, I want you to be praying that the Lord have revealed anything to you. He wants you to confess to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, we pray, first of all, giving you thanks for your word, for your spirit, for your guidance. Help us to be more sensitive to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you give us strength, that you make our path straight this coming, this year, Lord, in 2022. And we pray over the elements, Lord, the bread and the cup of juice. We know the bread represents the body of Jesus. It was broken for us, beaten for us, bloodied for us. And we know that the juice represents the blood that was poured out on that cross. We pray, Father, that yes, you'll bless it. And as we partake individually or with our mates, we do this in remembrance of what Jesus has accomplished. And your word says, Lord, that as we partake of communion, we proclaim his death until he comes. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. It's the cry of our hearts. Bless your people tonight, Father. Bless them tonight as they leave this place after the communion part of the service, but never your presence. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. And Father, thank you. Thank you for giving me strength tonight. And thank you for the prayers of your people on my behalf. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.